It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. through a series, at least I am going through a series, and technically I'm taking you with me, so I could say we. Uh, we're going through a series uh, called Life Lessons, and these are key things in my life. Uh, I'm closing in on 30 years of what I would say is of radical givenness to Jesus Christ. I was a Christian, uh, quote-unquote uh, Christian, uh, long before that, uh, but uh, it's been near 30 years now of saying, God, I want the real thing, I want the full version, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And so what, is, what does someone learn in that process? And that's sort of what I'm unpacking. There's some key truths that define and that shape uh, a Christian, and it's sometimes hard, and these, these truths can be somewhat nebulous, and we have a tendency to give pat answers when someone says, so what sets your life apart? And we just say Jesus. That's what it is. And that is the life lesson of all life lessons. You could make that the capital L life lesson. And it would be true. And everything about that is true. However, when you break that into its mechanical parts, like how does that work? When Jesus intersects your life, what exactly does he do? What does he train you in? What is the tool you reach for when you see that nail sticking out of the wood? How do you get that nail in? And those become the life lessons. They're tools. Tools that you learn to reach for, even subconsciously, when you are addressing life situations, and then someone near you could say, why did you just do that? I I don't know. That's just what I've done for years. But why do you do it? What is it that you just did? And that's sort of what this Life Lessons series is, is is drawing out the key tools that I would say God has defined in my tool bag, because I've done a lot of things wrong over the years. Maybe I need to have a a series that would probably be very encouraging for people of all the mistakes I've made. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the next series. Sounds like a somewhat depressing series, but uh, at the same time, it could be encouraging to realize that we're all sort of made of the same stuff, and we have the same propensities, and we have the same devil that is attempting to distort, to harm, and to disrupt our life. And he's very good at what he does, and yet he's not necessarily creative. He does the same things. He's been doing them uh, for generations and generations and generations. When you study the book of Nehemiah and you realize how he was moving against Nehemiah and trying to thwart Nehemiah, you recognize it's the exact same things he does today in the individual soul of a Christian. And so it's as strange as it is to say it would be encouraging to describe all the challenges we face or all the mistakes we make. Sometimes those can be leveraged into pictures of God's redemptive power. He's good at what he does. He knows how to take our weaknesses and transform them into strength. So another life lesson today. This one is called the principle of gentleness. So out of all my life lessons, I don't know if this is number eight, uh, but out of all my life lessons, I've had a few principles. I had the principle of no. I had the principle of manure. Uh, If you miss that one, you're going to need to pick up on that one. And the principle of gentleness uh, is today. And I almost said the principle of the opposite, which might have been more intriguing, I'm not sure, because I think a lot of us think we have an understanding of what gentleness is, and so it just sounds like the principle of softness. Well, it could be that. It it involves softness uh, when softness is needed. You see, there are certain situations in life where softness is precisely what is required, but gentleness is more than softness. 
one of its parallel concepts is meekness. And meekness, again, sounds like softness to people, but meekness is the equivalent of a wild stallion being brought under harness. And so it is actually a controlling and a directing away from a, na- a stallion's natural tendencies to bring them under the will of the master horseman. And that would be a great description of, in a sense, how gentleness works. In other words, when someone comes up to you and punches you in the nose, there is a natural disposition, there's a natural propensity in you to retaliate. It's the stallion part of you. And yet God intended you to have passion. He intended you to have strength. He intended you to have that stallion beauty. But what he wants is to control it and bring it under his master horsemanship. And so as a result, when we are brought into that meek position, now even though we are bopped in the nose, God holds us back and gives us his response instead. So we, we begin to respond as the, hor- the master horseman would have us respond with the same strength. Just because a stallion is harnessed doesn't mean it forsook its strength. Its strength is now guided and governed. And that's a good way of describing gentleness too. And so the principle of gentleness... One of the terms back uh, when I was a new Christian, uh, a new, because I was a Christian at the age of five, technically, if you want to say it that way, but this is in my new beginning. In fact, that's what I wrote in my journal, a new beginning. This is when God sponsored a whole new work of grace in my life, and I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. If Jesus gave everything for me, then I'm giving all for him. And this was the term, and I don't remember where it came from. I wish I could credit uh, the right person for it. But it was basically said to me, uh, Eric, you're entering into the upside-down kingdom. And I've always remembered that term. It has always stood out to me, and I've referred to it many, many times, that the kingdom in which I'm entering into, because I'm transferring out of a kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, which in this world's eyes seems right-side up. And so everything is normal about the kingdom of darkness to everyone. It's like, yeah, that's just the way people are. That's the way people live. That's the way people think. That's the way people behave. That's, that's the kingdom of this earth. And that's true. However, the kingdom I'm entering into is completely opposite this kingdom of this earth. It's a kingdom of heaven. It is a holy kingdom. And holy means other than. It's the otherly kingdom. It's the opposite kingdom. And to this world... It is upside down. Now, what's funny is when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, you're actually right side up for the first time. But the way the world sees is is that it's upside down. And it's interesting because when you first enter into the kingdom of heaven, when you first start reading the scriptures, it does seem upside down. You have to admit it. It's like, this isn't the way I naturally think, God. He goes, I know. This isn't the the way I naturally live, God. He goes, I know. You see, we're entering something that's holy, And it's completely other than the way we are naturally wired. So the upside-down kingdom, here's my little sub-point for that, where the servant of all is the greatest of all. So in the natural man kingdom, in the the kingdom that uh, that thinks it's upright and standing the way it's supposed to, a servant takes the lowest place. A servant is the lowest of all positions. But in the kingdom of heaven, the servant is the greatest. That's an odd statement. The servant is the greatest. Think about it. Jesus took the lowest place, and he's the greatest amongst us. So what we see is he is modeling a kingdom pattern that is exactly opposite the way that we would naturally think. And of course, as you go through the New Testament, as Jesus begins to unveil this kingdom, every single thing about it 
is backwards from the way we would naturally and instinctively go. And he's saying, look, I'm introducing you to my kingdom. It's a kingdom of light. And when it's shining in the midst of darkness, it's different. It's different than darkness. It's a kingdom of life. And when it's shining in a kingdom of death, you'll notice that it's different. You take a dead body and a living body, you're going to notice they behave differently. And so what we have is an opposite taking place here. So let's define gentleness. Now, this is my Eric Ludy edition of defining gentleness, uh, which is typically, it has a very boring definition, sort of like mildness or meekness uh, of disposition. And yet, the concept of it uh, is so much more rich than a simple uh, dictionary definition. So simply, gentleness is the opposite spirit. If evil strikes, it's goodness. If judgment pelts, it's mercy. If hate, love. If darkness, light. If death, life. If rudeness, kindness. If mockery, silence. If disdain, I'm sorry, if disdain, forgiveness. If reviling, blessing. Gentleness has many expressions, but they all are as Christ is in the midst of the behaviors that Christ is not. And I think to sort of begin to swallow this changes the life of a Christian. To recognize that we are being built to be gentle. You see, we're going to enter a world of hostility, a world that is very opposite the way God is building us. And we need to recognize up front that we are going to be different and they are going to have troubles with the way that we are going to be built. So therefore, God says you need to respond with gentleness. So when they oppose you, there is a proper response. Don't respond the way they are responding to you. So they are going to do this to you, but you don't do that to them. It is not eye for eye and tooth for tooth. They're going to give you, they're going to steal your eye and you give them your eye. I mean, what a strange statement. So in other words, God is training us in his behavior instead of our own behavior. So in Titus 3, Paul is referring to this very concept. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers. So this is a pastoral uh, epistle, and he's talking to Titus and training Titus in how to be a pastor and how to lead his flock. And he says, remind that flock to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle showing every consideration for all men. Remind them, Titus, to be gentle, to actually behave in the opposite manner than this earth behaves, that when they are struck on one cheek, turn to them the other also, that when they are maligned, to bless, when they are harshly treated, to forgive. In other words, this gentleness is a disposition of heaven. So in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter is referring to a similar uh, concept here. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So in other words, be gentle. So when evil comes, do not return it back. When reviling comes, do not give reviling back. But on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Isn't that a strange thought to think that we were called to give blessing in the midst of revilement? Yeah, you were called to that. 
In other words, we are called to reveal Christ in the midst of darkness, light in the midst of darkness, life in the midst of death. We are called to give love in the midst of hate. We are called to give the opposite, and this is part of what God is doing inside of us as a priority point. We were called to this. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the ultimate picture of gentleness. So as we talk about this idea of the opposite, the upside down kingdom, and we, talk, we basically say that the kingdom of heaven is completely opposite and upside down to the kingdom of this earth. It it's, doesn't resemble it at all. It is so different. They have a completely different nature, a completely different makeup. The ultimate picture of this opposite spirit, this ultimate picture of gentleness, is the cross. It's during the greatest battle of all of history, you watch how Jesus responds to it. And what we understand is that Jesus is actually setting for us a pattern. He's showing us what we could call the gentleness pattern. He's showing us a different approach to handling suffering, a different approach to handling difficulty, a different approach to handling mockery, disdain, revilement. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroyed the temple and build it in three days... This is an interesting moment for all of us. I don't know if any of you have ever been in an aha type of situation like this where they are wagging, what, what does it say? They're wagging their heads. <laughs> They're wagging their heads. And boy, I can feel that. And there's something instinctively in us that wants to rise up. And I've had this happen in me so many times as a man that I can be at complete rest, feeling very spiritual, and someone will attack. They'll attack my integrity. They'll attack my, attack my character. I'm not expecting it even. You know, so it just comes out of the blue. Because if you're expecting it, you know, sort of like a week from now, someone is going to question your integrity. It's like, you know, it's a lot easier to respond to that because you can then say, God, give me grace to respond to this situation. May I respond rightly? However, life doesn't deal out its aha moments, its wagging head moments, in such a prepackaged way that we see it coming in the mail, okay? It is, it just oftentimes strikes us across the cheek. But this is what I, I would say God desires to build in us a readiness to respond well to. And so, I, if I stick myself in this situation, I know Eric Ludy fairly well, okay? I've been around him for 48 years, and I've watched him respond to situations like this, Okay? And I know that I have an instinct to self-defend, to self-justify. And I think it was on Wednesday I talked about Job. Job was actually doing that which was right. That's what's weird about that book is Job was actually living well, and then this calamity comes upon him, and then Job's friends start wagging their heads, okay? They start clucking their tongues, and Job makes a mistake, and that is he defends himself, which is so interesting because well, that, that's what he should do, shouldn't he? I mean, he should clarify that he's innocent. He didn't do that. But instead of trusting his God 
and he ends up doing the one thing that all of us have a propensity to do. Look, I didn't do anything wrong. I, and he, you want to prove your righteousness. And so there's this tendency, but Jesus is setting a pattern here. And that's why I'm saying this is a life lesson, the principle of gentleness. That God wants to bring a harness to our soul that causes us to not respond in these circumstances where the propensity of Eric Ludi, and you fill in your name in the, in the blank, would naturally do this, and then need to seek forgiveness later for it, but instead could actually respond in a different way, in a different spirit, in a way that actually reveals the kingdom of heaven that otherwise would never be seen on this earth. You were called to this, that you may receive a blessing. In other words, this is part of our calling, is that we can have gentleness. That's an incredible thought that this is actually a fruit of what God wants to grow in and through us, which is meant for these sorts of moments. You see, if you have time to prayerfully consider being gentle towards someone, it's easier. I mean, some people can't even do that because you still need the Spirit of God for that. But I'm saying this is something that is supernatural in its makeup that God wants to have deposited within us so that when we are touched, when we do have that, aha, come to us, and someone wag their heads and cluck their tongue at us, we are able to give Jesus in response. So Isaiah 53, 750 years before the cross, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Who was? Well, we know who that was. It was Jesus. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I would guess uh, that in this situation, it's a fairly clear statement to say we are not naturally sheep in our response. Because it says, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. Well, I don't think that's very similar to us. So we're not naturally this way. But we're being invited in to being like sheep before shearers. Well, why would anyone ever do that? Well, because it's a pattern of the kingdom of heaven. God's saying, you see that sheep, how he handles himself before the shearer? I remember someone, I've never seen this proven, but it was, it was impacting to me. You ever, you know, these like legendary stories of, you know, people say, and this is how things work, and they give some great spiritual parallel, and then someone later in life says, I don't think that's actually how it happens. But it was still impacting. You ever had any of those? I have tons of those. Uh, and so in this story, it's like, yeah, and this shepherd, the sheep know his voice, and he calls them to the butcher block, and they literally would walk up to the butcher block and stretch out their neck. Okay, now, this had a huge impact on me when I heard it. Whether or not that's true, it's opposite the way we naturally would be. So it's similar saying, as a sheep before his shears is silent. As a sheep at the butcher block stretches out its neck. Okay, now I can't prove that it does that, and I've never seen it modeled or anything. However, except for in Jesus, well, except for in all of Christian history, that is the story. Is in other words, if the sheep hear the voice, Paul knew it was his time, and what does he do? He in a sense stretches out his neck. He was beheaded. I mean, that's not a bad illustration here. However, though I may not be able to show it in and amongst sheep that they actually do that with their shepherd, it's a profound idea that it's the opposite of the way we naturally are bent. We don't naturally stretch out our neck at the butcher block. And yet, Christ is setting for us a pattern 
And he's saying you were called to this. You were called to respond different than a natural man. You were called to respond different than the world around you would respond. And in so doing, this is a weapon of warfare that is mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. It is not of a natural man. It is spiritual. It is something that only God can work inside of us. And when he does, watch out world. Jesus' behavior. It is the opposite behavior of what is naturally coming out of you. It's a hard thing. We oftentimes try and modify our behavior to be like Christ. It's like, okay, Jesus, I see, I see what you're doing here. And so I'm going to do my best to modify myself to try and showcase you. That is, this isn't how Christianity works. It's like a displacement of our behavior. It's like, no, your behavior stinks. That you repent of. My behavior needs to come and live inside of you and live through you. Now, those of us in this room are familiar with these concepts, and yet it's a life lesson. It's still one of those things that sometimes we default to and we, we, we sometimes forget how profound the foundation is for that, that we are literally being called to be opposite, to be like Christ in the midst of a world that hates Christ. Have we thought this through? Do we recognize that we're choosing to behave as one who was crucified. And that even when he was crucified, because he was opposite, even when he was crucified, he behaved opposite. That our entire life is called to this, this conforming unto the image of the dear son. We're being changed and transformed into something that is opposite the world, but is likened unto Christ. So a few gentleness pointers. Okay, this is uh, some good stuff, guys. I, uh, this, is, this is like uh, the type of thing that you may, people may just need to revisit this, uh, this one daily thunder a few times in their life. It's like when they get stirred up again. You know, this is a good one. So I always call it delete the first draft. And some of you have heard me say this before, but there's, <clears throat> you get that one email that comes in and it's just, it's cantankerous, okay? It's, it's a, a accusatory, it's defaming, it's reviling. We've all been exposed to this. There's a lot of leaders in this room, and we all know what it's like to get that communication. There's an instinct. It's funny because even with righteous indignation, you can respond with an email back. It's like, thank you for being willing to send your uh, words to me, but let me clarify a few things. And something comes out of us that can even feel spiritual in the moment, if you could follow me on this, because it is righteous, and it's defending that which is righteous. And what I would say is, all right, you can get that first draft out, now we might want to delete it. Because that which gushes out or oozes out at first is not always spirit. It can have the glow or the false glow maybe of being spiritual because it's a righteous indignation that can be moving it but can oftentimes express things that are like this world would express them instead of like heaven would express them and so as a simple statement delete the first draft well that's the statement with what words are going to come out of your mouth too in other words, when someone is standing in front of you and they're saying something to you, I would say delete the first draft of what's about to come out of you. Just say, no, 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 and reset into gentleness. And it's a choice. I used to have uh, two printers, 
and we had what was called an AB switch. Uh, this is back in the day. I feel like it's like talking about tape cassettes or something. Uh, but it was an AB switch, and so if I wanted to use printer on the right, I would turn to B. If I wanted to turn, you know, use printer on the left, I'd turn to uh, A. And I had to deliberately do that because certain, the two printers, the reason I had two printers is one, I'm guessing, was like color, and the other one was just black and white. So if I needed color, I needed to switch it. And the same is true here. We oftentimes have a default printer, and it's like on A. And it's old, it just defaults a certain way. We just do the same thing, right? Until we deliberately go in, and before we, oh, no, 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 we're about to push print. Okay, we're not going to push print yet. Just, just a second, just a second. Click, all right, there, we're, we're going to go to the right printer on this one. We're going to have the right output. And so it's a, it's a similar thing in our life that pause. Okay, printer B. All right, let's get this right. Let's do it Christ's way instead of whatever that is that the devil is attempting to sponsor because he's poking at you with a stick. And when someone pokes at you with a stick, what do you do? You respond. And so what we have is we have a poke and an initial response, but then we catch and we go to printer B and we respond with Jesus. And so the fact that we feel the stick is a very real thing. What comes out of us, though, needs to be Christ. Okay, so that's delete the first draft. The second one, if you are really craving to speak, maybe you shouldn't. Now, this isn't a perfect rule of thumb. It's just a good one, okay? And that is there's certain times where you really want to give someone a piece of your mind. That's probably the time when you shouldn't. In other words, if you're really craving to say something, usually it has a juicy feel to it, too. It's like it'd be really good for them to hear that. That's usually when you shouldn't speak, right? Now, there's an opposite uh, rule of thumb, which says if you really, really don't want to speak, maybe you should. Boy, I, I don't deal with, the, the first one isn't necessarily my issue. I, I'm not the guy that just is going to say all sorts of wild things really loudly that offend a whole bunch of people. I'm not, I, it's never really been my issue is just getting something off my chest and chewing people out. The second one, even though some people I think might think that that's my issue because I speak loud when I preach, but I, I, that hasn't been my issue. The second one, which I think most people would probably think isn't my weakness, is if you really, really don't want to speak, maybe you should. I've dealt with this from the very beginning of my ministry. Almost everything God has asked me to do, I didn't feel comfortable with. I mean, historically, I could probably create a timeline and say, yeah, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do this. 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 And yet you feel that push in the small of your back. And that, again, is the opposite of the direction you would naturally want to go. And so if your instinct is to just gush out a whole bunch of venom on people, well, then you probably shouldn't. You should keep your mouth shut. If your instinct is to keep your mouth shut at the very moment you should be speaking, well, you should allow God to draw it out. And there have been so many moments in my life where I know God's saying, speak, Eric. This is not going to go over well if I do. And it happens in public places, too. You know, it's like, Eric, this is when you need to actually say something. Ah, uh, and I don't want to speak, so it's a rule of thumb in my life. This is a gentleness pointer for us. I know, what does that have to do with gentleness? It's the opposite of your natural man behavior. That's what it has to do with. In other words, gentleness is the Spirit of God doing His thing in the midst of a world that is hostile to it. It's the Christ response to a situation. So number four, <clears throat> remember gentleness is a weapon against the powers of darkness. So wield it. You know that, that, that actually helps? It's a pointer for gentleness because gentleness just seems like 
weakness. That's the way it's translated in the, in the natural realm. In the kingdoms of this earth, it's like gentleness just looks weak when in actuality, it is the power of God working in and through us as Christians. And when we wield it, it stymies the enemy. And that's actually clear in Scripture, that when someone opposes us and we respond in gentleness, it actually sets the soil of their soul that is ready to potentially repent. In other words, our movement of gentleness in the opposite spirit actually labors inside of those we are responding to to awaken them. And finally, number five, the Holy Spirit meets us in the impossible moment. Again, this is important to recognize that gentleness is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is not a work of your own determination, and that is why to restrain from speaking is supernatural, by the way, if any of you, for those of us that have understood that over, over the years, and to, and to then speak when you don't desire to speak at all and, and you're so trembling that your words can't even come out of your mouth, to speak in those situations is equally supernatural. But when we agree with God in those moments, the Holy Spirit meets us in the impossible moment. So for you to know, it's a, it's a gentleness pointer. It's like, God, I can't do this. Whenever in the Christian life has it ever depended upon you, Eric? Oh, that's a good point. Okay, so you can do it. And sometimes we wish God couldn't do it. <laughs> then we wouldn't have to. But he can do it. In every situation, he never asks of us something that he can't help us do. So the Holy Spirit will meet us in the impossible situations. Paul is speaking now to Timothy, and he says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So you have these people that are captive to the devil and are doing the devil's will, and they oppose you. And so Paul is speaking to Timothy saying, I want you to train your sheep how to respond this way. Because when someone opposes them, if they respond in gentleness, it actually creates a means by which the Spirit of God can bring them to repentance. Gentleness is a powerful tool. That opposite behavior is actually like a pry bar into their soul. And these are people that are captive to the devil. This isn't just someone who's you know, hanging out you know, in the church and all healthy and we respond to them with gentleness, which we still do. It's the same. This is a weapon even in hostile situations. This is what Christ demonstrated on the cross. So Christ set the pattern. His behavior, though opposite, is the correct behavior and the one we should both esteem and adopt. When we see Jesus, <clears throat> sometimes we have a tendency to diminish the modeling of Jesus because he's God. You know, which is nice that we're esteeming him as God and so we're like, that's God working and obviously I can't do that. Which is, sounds noble at first, but everything in the New Testament is actually calling us to follow. Now, we need to recognize that to follow, it's not in our own grit, determination, you know, digging in our own pockets, say, what do I have to bring to the table? We don't have anything. But he has said, follow, I will enable. And so when we see his modeling, we don't discredit it based on the fact that, well, that's just divine. We recognize that that same life that was in Christ, that raised him from the dead, dwells in us. 
and that this modeling that is being shown of gentleness is actually intended by God to be worked out in and through us in our behavior. When we carry a cross, how do we handle it? As Christ would. When we are reviled, how do we handle it? As Christ would. When we are faced with the same challenges that Christ was faced with, how do we respond? As Christ would. And that's like, that's a, that's a steroid injection into our theology because it's actually coming to the conclusion that it's not just a good picture of God's nature, it's a good picture of the nature that is meant to dwell in us and work through us. And that's a startling life lesson. So here we have in 1 Peter 2, Peter's commenting on the same thing. He says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. I mean, we could stop right there and just be shocked for the rest of our life. He just gave us an example? We know what an example is. Come, do the same. Paul actually says that too. He says, what you've seen and heard in me, do. What? Do, what, what you did, Paul? Paul, that's at a whole nother level. But what Jesus said to Paul is the same thing. What you've seen and heard in me, do, Paul. Then he says, what you've seen and heard in me, do. What do you think we say? It's the same thing. It's the passing of the baton. Jesus gave us an example, and it is an example, mind you, that we cannot pull off in our own strength, which is where the power of the gospel comes in, and that is God steps in and says, I know I've given you an impossible course to walk, but I desire to live inside of you and to enable you to do it. Are you willing to walk this way and follow this example? Yes. Are you willing to allow me to move inside of you and to do this in and through you? Yes. Christianity, right there. It's believing that God is taking us in that direction and then allowing him to be the one to fulfill it and to carry us there. So Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. I've had many moments uh, where I've had to wrestle with these concepts. You know, I, with this whole Joshua Harris thing that is swirling around us, it's interesting for me to know how to respond because there are moments that I could be very upset. It's a breach of trust. It's a threat to my own children. And it's a threat to the church of Jesus Christ that I care deeply for. And yet, what is my response? Is my response to yell? Is my response to denounce? And that's part of the tension. What would Christ do? So when Josh does what he does, what is the opposite? What does it look like? And so this is part of what I've been laboring through over the past week is just, I want to be marked by Christ in what I do. And circumstances like this test because there's part of me that responds with a righteous indignation, which you could say, that's good, Eric. It is but it needs to be honed and governed by the pureness of God's gentleness. And so there's a need 
for me, instead of just allowing something to fly out of my mouth, to pause, maybe delete the first draft, and to give the gentle response that God is giving. But gentleness doesn't necessarily mean either absence of speech, nor does it mean that it is always mild. It can be strong. Jesus was gentle, and he was the opposite of the Pharisees, but he gave it to them at times. In other words, you could say, well, is that not gentle? Well, he's gentleness, and it was opposite the Pharisees. They were proud. He was humble. They were uh, religious and uh, in, in proud in their, in their spiritual bearing, and he was the opposite. But what he did was still strong. What is our response? It's a harness. We're stallions with natural impetus and natural instinct. Oh, dear master horseman, harness us so that you can take this passion, take this strength, and lead it to your glory where you desire to take it. I think that's our our craving in such a time. Father, give us wisdom for this. Show us precisely how to respond, to love, to serve, to show mercy, to walk in humility. Lord, I desire to be gentle. I desire to showcase your behavior in the midst of a world that is so opposite of your behavior. Lord, may all of us in here freshly pick up our cross and follow you. May we be like sheep before the shear. May we be of the disposition of heaven and not the disposition of this earth. We love you and we submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.